It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is your host, Stan Dryav, my co-host, a multi-time offer, multi-podcast veteran, Nikolai, a marketing executive of the highest sort. The, oh, what's the, what's the, what's the, the, the splint, the Nikolai, count? I am not what's... done, goddamn. I have had beers. The splint to my fractured ankle, Nick Braccia. Dude, I'm just looking at you on the Skype recording, and I'm getting fucking, I'm getting a buzz off your digital breath right now. <laughs> you would blow, you would, you would blow yourself into Rikers uh, if they put you. Believe it or not, um, Nick, short of three beers because... Like I haven't eaten much, so the tolerance is lower than it could be. Yeah, but those, those skinny little stork legs—you got no—you can't hold your shit. I'm 215 pounds, Nikolai. <laughs> With a big ass heavy coat, maybe. You can be 45 <laughs> pounds overweight and still weigh less I'm than pro- me, Nick. I'm probably the same. I'm probably—I probably weigh probably been pretty close to your weight. I don't <laughs> have no idea. I haven't—I haven't stepped on a scale since before COVID because I hate myself enough. Speaking of hating themselves, let's talk about Mystic Mac. He didn't see that one coming. Yeah, this episode, we're just talking about UFC 264, specifically the main card. Uh, we're not breaking down next week's episode. We will get back to you guys later on this week with that preview. It's a hot but- take. It's one eleven a.m. The pay-per-view just ended. We're coming at you practically live. We couldn't deal with what they were saying on the pay-per-view anymore, so we decided to get on ourselves. Yeah, I don't know who decided to get like Teddy Atlas and Stephen A. What's that guy's name? Oh God, Stephen 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 Smith talking about MMA is the worst. That guy is a douchebag of the highest resort, and I don't throw that term around, Nick. I take it very seriously. It's like he learned. It's like he learned his cadences from watching ESPN in the eighties, <laughs> in the late eighties, early nineties. I, I think that like, sounds about right. Oh. Uh, him with Connor, I don't know if you saw the. I mean, obviously, there's major shit to discuss, but quickly, you did you see like at least the beginning clip of his interview with Connor McGregor where they first saw each other, and Stephen A. I Smith. I did not. It, so it's in a gym, like it looks like a UFC gym, like weightlifting equipment all around them. Stephen A. Smith shows up in like dad jeans and and like a button-down shirt and a and a blazer, and Connor McGregor shows up in fucking the finest suit that uh, you know can be tailored naturally. Stephen A. Smith looks taken aback by it, and he's all like. Man, this is the first time in my career that somebody has dressed better than I have. I thought that was particularly funny. He was feeling insecure about it. But yeah, um, Atlas, uh, I don't need. Smith, I don't need. I think. Uh, I, think I like Max Tony Kellerman. Atlas as a guy, but it's like I'd rather listen to Michael Bisping and Dominic Cruz. Uh, I agree, but Max Kellerman, I think, brings a lot to the table. Yeah, I've always liked Kellerman because he's like, uh, come on, Kellerman's indie. Like, he, dude came up working with his late his brother since you know was horribly murdered all those years ago. Uh, by a boxer that. he took in but max kellerman is a teenager as a teenager was on public access in new york you know he's been he came up almost as like a child commentator during the 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 big really the post tyson era of all of those amazing uh terrific fights between you know the shane mosley's and the oscar de la hoyas and the felix trinidad's and the and the Morales Barrera fights, like that was the Max Kellerman heyday. He was a staple and he was like, you know, 24 years old by then. And he already been doing it a while. I didn't realize. So that I'm always happy to see him. Because he looks oh, relatively for, young, I think. Forever. He he can, Max Kellerman's about my age, maybe a year or two older, but he's not, he's not 50. But no. I, it was, I suppose Max Kellerman was had big, big gigs covering boxing 
alongside Larry Merchant, yep. Jim Cape, Jim Cable, Jim Cable, uh, Emmanuel Stewart, all of those guys, late nineties. You know, he was yep. all he had already he had already gotten to that level when he was, you know, much much more you know, he was kind of like the like boxing's Ariel Hawani. He was kind of like this young I indie think, upstart. I think you've got it. I think you've got it spot and on. Except except he was a little bit younger and he, and he did it with he did the radio show with his brother. And then his brother took in a boxer. I think they were living in California. I can't remember. He, his brother took in a boxer, an ex-boxer. Hey, Nick, you know we're recording a podcast over there with your fucking gun wrapper or whatever. I just I, Sometimes you need a fucking piece of bread, dude. They got, they got, <laughs> they got 21 whole grains. You think this body's going to keep itself? I got to feed it. I got, alarm, I got alarm clocks going off at 4 in the morning so I can eat grilled chicken breasts. <laughs> you know what? I, I believe it. So you're telling me you're just going to take in the grilled chicken breasts? It's not going to be like, I don't know, some lard on the side of that? I'm just eating a piece of bread right now. I'm, I look no, no. terrible. <laughs> just some just some clean carbs before a good night of sleep. I'm into it, Nick. Uh, no, but I yeah. definitely hear you. I didn't realize Max Kellerman was around for quite as they long. They soak as... up the night. They help soak up the Nyquil. <laughs> uh, speaking of Nyquil, uh, did you see that Jake Paul uh, piece of jewelry that he had made of Conor McGregor? First of all, a plus fucking segue, Stan. That was awesome. <laughs> and yes, I saw I saw the jewelry. And it's fantastic. No one has ever. And I was just reading the, you know, it's a, it's a cliche phrase, um, but someone on Bloody Elbow said that they hadn't seen anyone jump the shark as hard as Connor's post-fight interview in a long time. And man, does he feel over? Just mm-hmm. bad look. Jake Paul's showing him up. He just looks, yeah. it's just a bad, bad look all around. So let's talk about the fight, though. Yeah, oh, there, that's right. There, there was a, there was a fight. I, I don't know. I, I think the banter has some value to the show, but definitely there with you, bud. Oh no, uh, the, ban- the banter is fun, but we can banter about the show, especially when it's about an asshole getting getting fucking dominated. That that is true. Can I just quickly read uh, Jake Paul's recent? I think it was tweet that has like is quickly making him like one of my guys. I I, I have to quickly cover this Nick, before we get to the biggest fight maybe of the year. Dana White. You may have bullied your way to controlling thousands of fighters' careers, but I've never said I want to sign with the UFC, nor will I ever. Maybe I would consider letting you co-promote one of my events against the UFC champion like you did for Conor when he fought Floyd, because you wouldn't let Conor actually do it himself without you taking your cut. You live in lies, and every major fighter on your roster has has complained about pay. Conor, Jones, Masvidal, Diaz, and Ganu. You even make up fake belts to sell tickets instead of giving Amanda Nunes her opportunity to headline fucking spot on Nikolai. Remember, Dana, you were a cardio kickboxing instructor and didn't even create the UFC. Gracie and Davey created it, and the Fertitta saved it, and the fighters made it popular. You're a bald man who can't do an interview now without being asked about me. Pay your fighters more. Look, the, the part about Dana uh, not having done shit for the sport... I'm going to disagree. I don't like the guy. He's obviously a piece of shit, a human being. But some of those same attributes is what allowed, is what helped him, I think, to be a big part of making the UFC a major deal. Everything else, yeah. Nick, fucking spot on. Very into that shit. Thank you, Jake motherfucking Paul. I will be rooting for Jake Paul against Tyron Woodley, Nick. I've just decided it. Never liked Tyron. Wow. Well, I'm not a big Tyron fan, but um, I haven't I haven't gone that far. <laughs> what I will say is the reason... Different people are drawn to the sport for different reasons. We are, you know, maybe you could call us marks. I think we're we're definitely more fans of the babyface fighters. By babyface, I'm using wrestling terminology. Heel versus babyface is like the GSPs, the Dustin Poiriers, the people, the Stephen Thompsons, um, the Kamaru Usmans. Those who approach it, yes, you can have a little flair, a little attitude, but those who approach it as sportsmen, the way that Fedor Emelianenko did, not not competing out of hatred. Not com- not comp- not 
competing out of pure animosity or a desire to to do pain just just being just being classy and showing up and, and giving your all and maybe that's old school maybe it's not you know maybe it's not uh like fun or cool but i love rooting against and bet and this is part of it this is why maybe i'm a mark but rooting against the guys that the that the ufc has earmarked for success or the people who they're riding so you couldn't i couldn't be any happier tonight seeing that sean o'malley in the first in the first fight against a, a clear once a guy that's definitely could be fighting at 125 possibly 115 he's a little dude a guy who could be fighting at 125 who's coming off the regional scene who's been knocked out twice recently can on 11 days notice yeah he took a beating but he just but he marched forward largely unfazed trying to kill sean o'malley for three rounds and o'malley couldn't get him out of there any all anybody could talk about was the durability of this kid nobody was talking about o'malley which is which is hilarious to me because you put in any uh, you put in Devashvili you put in Jan any uh, you Pedro Munoz like these one 135ers are the aggre- aggressive powerful 135ers are going to give him all sorts of all sorts of trouble um, so I'm interested I'm interested in him getting knocked out in the future I hope they don't give him Frankie because I'm just worried about Frankie's age and durability at this point. Um, I think that's exactly ever, the, the kind of matchup uh, they should give him, actually, for the sake of his career, testing him, but also giving Frankie the opportunity against uh, a guy with a name who, Frankie gets a swim, he's back on the map, you know. Yeah, Frank, but there is no map for Frankie at this point. He's he's really old for the weight class, and his, dur- his durability shot, he's been knocked out several times in the last couple of years. He's my favorite fighter ever, but he's not making any runs at the, at the, the title after that Sanhagen loss. So, yeah, I think you're right about that. To... But l- let's let's dive into the main event. Now. Yeah, we sorry, I got a little ahead my, I got a little <laughs> ahead myself. Let's get let's. Uh, oh, you're the one that's drunk, and I'm all over the place. But let's talk about. I want to get some more of Dave's. Uh, you know, 21 whole grain and seeds. He's got seeds, dude. Oh, so um, it's it's kind of healthy bread, Nick. That's pretty good. I, I was I, I thought maybe just like white wonder bread. No, I I had that yesterday, but I am I am dipping it in. Buffalo, <laughs> you had that Buffalo loaf yesterday, and this one today is that how? No, it well, just two p. I had two p. I was in Texas. I had some some good barbecue. Fair enough. Um, uh, you got to put it on the you got to put it on the white bread. But yeah, let's talk about how that main event was going. What what did you what did you see? What did you see in that round? And where you what do you think was going to happen in the fight? If uh, and I, I hesitate to call this a freak accident because I really do think that the bone was injured on when Connor kicked higher than he should. I've spoken about this for a little while now about Conor McGregor. I can't think of a single actual knockout that he has against the guy who is not moving forward into his left hand, right? He doesn't really hurt guys with almost anything else. I think Diego Brandao, he got with a spinning heel kick uh, before he finished him, and that was a rare case, but even then it wasn't a clean knockout, right? He gets his clean knockouts because people like Jose Aldo run into his left hand. That's how he's made a career of it. He pisses people off before the fight, motivating them to want to go at him, right? Um, and if that doesn't work, if you're being patient, he's going to throw those distant kicks at you and motivate you to run in on, into his offense. Uh, and, and that does. It frustrates you. It makes you want to cover that distance. And it's worked for him so much. And Poirier knew not to do that. He did it for one moment in this fight. And I was thinking, what the fuck are you doing, dude? That is exactly what he was looking for. You better not repeat that. Uh, but, but he corrected himself, went back to the game plan. Uh, I think him going for, I think the biggest turner in this fight was 
uh, obviously those leg kicks are a factor because Connor's leg kicks this time are what negatively affected him. If I had to guess, I would say that Connor probably injured his leg uh, in training camp to some extent. Could have been like a, a micro fracture, something along those lines. And then uh, that kick where it landed with the foot, it, it seemed like Poirier reacted right away and he spoke about it after the fight. Poirier realized something had cracked. Something happened at that moment, right? And you can kind of feel that when you land a clean right well, it hand. Hits, it, it hits right on the hard part of the knee. And it's hitting, and it definitely looked like it was hitting uh, at the at the base at the base of the foot. Dustin checked it. He kind of, I mean, he checked it, but he didn't. He was he was just getting the leg up, but but where Connor was going for, it made it made it yeah, it made it so that his foot hit his knee. Right. So it, it was essentially almost the knuckles of the foot for, of Conor McGregor that hit Poirier, not on the hardest part of the knee. At least that's not how I remember it. It was the side of the leg, which is actually where the ligaments and tendons are uh, that, that, that kind of connect the muscles at the bottom of the leg to the top of the leg. So like that's a place that it could hurt. Like it, it could actually lead to you having trouble using that leg. If you're the one receiving the kick, it's very rare that you get like a broken limb, especially the break happening in half the shin in half neck and, and like a, f almost a full foot away from where the impact happened. So it was strange. Like that leads me to believe that it was injured prior and then the the pressure of connor's leg like essentially almost kicking past poirier's leg right connor's foot getting caught there and the snap happened at the weakest point which is probably where those micro fractures were connor was kicking a lot in the training camp leading up to this fight we have to know that because he clearly game plan leg kicks right clearly that was a part of his plan and so like, if i had to guess obviously there's not a whole lot of corroborating evidence yet but if i had to guess i would say that's how it happened poirier felt a snap he felt a crack on connor's leg and that's why he pointed to him right and it doesn't make sense for it to have been the ankle unless there was a prior injury it certainly blew up on connor but aside from that i mean he looked he looked good and he looked aggressive but aside from landing that one left hand which didn't daze Dustin didn't appear to daze Dustin as much as the right hand did that crossed his eyes in the in the previous fight. Right, it was but that cross jab think, in the in the in the first, second yeah. fight that buzzed him. Yeah, I still think that um, you know, I I thought Dustin had good composure. Uh, he generally con I think I also think he landed the better combinations and his punches impacted McGregor more. He landed a three piece on McGregor that definitely shook him up. I don't understand the guillotines at all. That was very weird. Um, that was the biggest turner of the fight outside of that outside of that shin, in my opinion, Nick, is when Poirier went for a body lock, Conor McGregor went for a guillotine. Why not defend the takedown? Why would you do that? Since when does Poirier get submitted from any position, let alone like you on bottom? Since when yeah, does you're Conor not, McGregor... You're not Khabib. You're not going to choke out Dustin Poirier. He's... And Khabib couldn't even do it from his back, right? Like it wasn't... like. Like, it would take a pretty high-level guillotine for that to happen. We would have probably seen a high-level guillotine in Connor's career had there been one up until this point. We haven't. Like, that was absolutely low IQ. Zombie subbed him, too, I think, at 145, right? Uh, yeah, I, I think it was. I think it was, he took the fight on short notice or something. But, yeah, but, again, we, we don't see this version of Poirier getting finished like that. That was the version that got finished by Connor. I, I just think Poirier's too, too big, too strong, too durable now. He's not – he's – you know, he's not the, and too smart. Like he's, I just don't think Connor really has, has any way to beat him. But, and I, I'm really, I'm not interested in a fourth fight. I just want him to go. I just want him to, you know, he, he, he landed some good elbows from the bottom, but those are never going to, they may cut you, but they're not going to do the damage that those, that those big thumping ones are with all, with all of Poirier's weight. 
um, on them. So he he was definitely it was it wasn't looking good heading into the second round. I think no, not Con, at all. you know Connor you know had he had the first ninety seconds to try to pull something off, and I don't think it was uh, it wasn't trending in his favor. Not e- not even close. Um, his kicks look good. He's very he's an athletic martial artist, but he I just think I think you know these guys at one fifty five. Um, are, are just awfully, awfully big and strong. Remember, the only 155er I believe that he's knocked out was Eddie Alvarez, who I always thought was undersized for the division, and who definitely, you know, who definitely fights like a brawler. Um, uh, yeah, McGregor at this point I think is something like one and four in the division, in a division where he was champion. His one win was the title fight. That's crazy. Uh, at least, at least in the UFC, I know he he won the title in Cage Warriors. Wait, one in four. Hang on, two two to Poirier, one to one to Khabib. Oh, the wait was the uh, Nate the Diaz was Nate... actually Nate Diaz was, was one seventy. Maybe both at one seventy. Yeah, yeah, maybe it might be one in three. Um, because he fought Cerrone at one seventy, so that wasn't a win at that division. Uh, yeah. So I'm rewatching the fight now, and McGregor after that kick that Poirier says is where McGregor probably hurt his leg. McGregor keeps throwing that same leg. So if McGregor, like added a fracture or or increased his level of fracture in that shin it doesn't seem like he realized the man he was using it repeatedly after that moment and yeah mcgregor looked sharper he looked quicker right the problem is that every time mcgregor threw first poirier was ready to slip and counter at the exact same moment um and that was effective poirier got that clinch well, poirier's shots stole more energy from connor than connor's shots did from poirier uh, you mean uh, you mean on the ground later on, right? Uh, no, no. I mean even standing. I mean when Por- yeah, when Poirier land when Poirier landed, I felt like you had to you had to watch Connor. You can visibly watch Connor reset, particularly after the th- a three punch combo. Um, yeah. It was very similar. His Connor's response was very similar to um, when he got he got hit with a combination by Nate Diaz in the in the, their first fight, the one that led to him going for the takedown. Um, I, I I think it may have been while Connor was throwing his left hand. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Pori did the exact same thing. He slipped his head off the center line and threw his own. And he he looked like he buzzed him, and that's what led to the clinch. That led to the guillotine attempt that allowed for Poirier to land those nasty elbows. And Poirier from up top, he looked phenomenal. He's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, and he's like a he's like a good one. Connor is probably high purple belt territory, but more importantly, he doesn't have a lot of heart. So when you start landing that ground and pound on him. Does he really have much of a shot of truly coming back? This looked, at, at, at moments, easily as dominant as Khabib was on Connor when he was on top. At least as dominant. Well, um, yeah, there's there's heart, you know, there's heart, and then there's just positional awareness and like his IQ is just not great down there. You know, he, he's with his hands, he's it's it's second nature. But you see him being uh, become. You see the positions happen to happening to him, like his legs getting pulled underneath Dustin, and you see the positions happening before he can respond. He really has. It's like, yeah, he's not. Um, you know, he does. He doesn't react with the speed of a of a high level black belt. Uh, I agree, and and on top of that, while Poirier is landing like three, four elbows at a time, Connor is not even trying to grab a hold of him. It's almost like he's trying to grab his wrists and control only his wrists. It's like, like that's not the only way to prevent that kind of damage. And you don't want to be doing that while the guy's throwing his offense. You want to catch the wrists while you're engaged after you've already gotten a hold of him. So yeah, th- some bad decision making by Connor. Yeah. And if he was, if he was tra- really trying to pull pull on the gloves to like yank Dustin into the up kicks, that's that's pretty some pretty desperate sad shit. I think. Um, I would say it's a lot less desperate and sad than some of the shit he said leading up to the fight. That's that's you know part of the fight game. Now, if the same guy does yeah. it. 
Like to me, Kumar Usman's headbutts against Jorge Masvidal in their first fight, which again he didn't need to do. I said it at the time, but he landed like six clean, hard headbutts as he went into the clinch. I don't think it was an accident. To me, that's dirty, right? Grabbing the gloves like it's it's not it's not clean, it's not legal, but is it? It's it, there's a craftiness to it. If you can get away with that sort of thing uh, without the referee seeing, when you're not doing actual physical damage to your opponent, but you 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 know you're bending the rules ever so slightly. It's the same way that Bernard Hopkins would sneak in the occasional like like spleen shot or something while the referee was at the perfect angle where he couldn't see it. Um, there's a craft element to it, and and yeah, the moment uh, I'm watching it right now, the moment they get up, uh, Connor throws his jab cross. Poirier slips, throws his cross, and Connor falls. And it looks to me like both guys missed, but Connor drops back onto his ass. And as it turns out, it's because his leg broke, Chris Weidman, Anderson Silva style. This is becoming like a real common thing, especially with fights where the calf kick is kind of a a big element of uh, of the strategy. Yeah. it's um, And then let's talk, I mean, after the fight, you know, Dustin was a little fiery. Has to be tough being the good guy getting booed because there's a douchebag crowd because like douchebags are Connor fans. Yeah, no, no, no joke. But I didn't realize like it didn't sound to me like the booing on him was as bad as some of the other guys that were fighting. No, the not as bad fighters. as some of the other guys. But he was he was definitely a little portrayed. And it was a bummer because I liked the I liked the sportsmanship vibe of the second fight. This is more entertaining, Nick. Like this was. Yeah, I, I guarantee you, this pay per view did way better. Because of the trash talk. Yeah, I just don't care. I don't like. I don't know. I just it's not my thing. It became a thing that people were discussing about the fight, right? Which adds to the hype. Even if Connor sounds like kind of an idiot. Well, he sounded like an idiot, and he yeah. sounded he was he was apoplectic after the fight. Like I mean, screaming. It's a doctor stoppage, not a you know doctor stoppage. Which is funny, Nick. As the as the round ended and the referee was like right in front of him, uh, like it seemed like everybody was acting. I think his corner was up in front of him. Everybody seemed to be acting like all is good. We're gonna keep going because they didn't notice the leg break, right? And Connor kept pointing to his. To his, uh, to his leg. He kept pointing to that spot again and again. The Kramer just was looking right at his hand as he points to it, even though I don't think you could see Connor's hand at the time. So Connor was so like adamant about it being a doctor stoppage. He was pointing to that ankle, not because he wanted to continue. So like technically, technically, it's either it's either a a TKO or it's you know a submission by via injury. Like like we've seen that. So like Connor even making a big deal of that shows you first of all it's kind of not really that honest second it's true that the doctor officially did stop the fight uh but connor worrying about the pr of this whole situation worried about building up the next matchup talking shit as a poirier was walking away granted he was in pain but the fact that it's like his mind goes right there to the pr of it all how am i going to sell this how am i going to approach this you can see his mind going right there as soon as this fight ended and like we saw with everything that unfolded he wants he's going to want to do this fight again because he still thinks he has a shot at beating poirier yeah, well, Poirier's going to go on to Charlie Olives, which is no no walk in the park. I mean, I nope. think I picked Dustin in that fight just because of his physicality and durability. But I mean, I don't I don't count out Oliveira. Like I don't I absolutely not will I count him out. I think that's going to be a hell of a fight. I'm really excited to see it. They're good. They're they're both just good guys who've been around forever. Those are the kind of fighters that I like. I'm I don't need to see Conor McGregor anymore. Uh, I mean, I look, don't. Conor I watch him fight Gagey. That sounds fun. Yeah, I guess. yeah. I mean, I I can't imagine that he would want that fight at this point. But he's made stupid calls before, like wanting to fight Khabib, like wanting to fight Poirier, like fights that uh, the second time, the third time. I mean, uh, fights that like don't look too good for him. He's willing to take him, so I got to give him uh, at least some props for that. But look, he's done. He'll fight. He's gonna fight Jake and Logan. He's gonna fight Jake and Logan Paul. 
He's under UFC contract. He is not doing shit. Unless, oh, yeah, you're unless right. Dana, unless Dana White gets his cut, like Logan Paul said. Uh, and to be honest, that that is not impossible. It, it's not out of the realm of possibility. So quickly, um, let, let's shift over to the co-main event. Gilbert Burns, Stephen Thompson. Man, Gilbert Burns had the most, I think, the most convincing victory over Stephen Thompson. I'm fascinated by how that fight would have gone if it were five rounds, and to me, that would be the biggest thing. Uh, Matt, I mean, Matt Brown and Anthony Pettis had more convincing victories, but it was still a good one. Matt Brown fought an extremely like inexperienced, uh, one-dimensional Stephen Thompson, and yep. uh, and Tyron Woodley, it was they were both extremely close fights. Um, oh yeah, a- Anthony Pettis caught him, but like. I, like the way that Matt Brown beat him, this was kind of similar. Except obviously the second round was Thompson's, in my opinion. At least. Well, Matt, Matt Brown hurt Stephen Thompson really badly. Gilbert Burns didn't Did ever he? really have Thompson hurt. I I did not recall that. I, I remembered him getting repeated. Oh, he times. hurt him. He hurt him bad. I see. Good to know. That man's always had nasty, nasty power uh, as he walks away with a knockout over Diego Lima. But yeah, look, Stephen, this was as, as clear-cut a win over Stephen Thompson as it gets, in my opinion, right? Like, quickly looking at his record, um, he's got a bunch of UFC wins, but his losses are to Anthony Pettis. He was dominating until he got caught out of nowhere. Darren Till, screw job decision, should have gone his I, way. Yeah. Tyron Woodley, majority decision was super close, could have easily gone either way. Uh, and and like you said, Matt Brown, which was dominant and probably the closest to this. It was this. early, yeah. yeah. Yeah, super super early. In it was school. early. This, this fight, I mean, nine years ago. Yeah, Wonder Boy. You know, this is a winnable fight for Wonder Boy. He looked. I thought I gave him the second round. I thought he looked good. And he in the first couple in the first ninety seconds of the third round, he landed what was arguably the most impactful shot of the fight. But he got taken down again. Or, you know, Burns was that head kick was the head kick was nasty, but it just pissed Burns off and it gave him a sense of urgency. And he went and he brought these up. He's a, a legit black belt and a, and a tough and strong guy. And he was able to put the fight where he, where it needed to be for him to win. Like all, but you know, you can't. I don't. There's nothing wrong with uh, what Gilbert Burns did. He solidified he solidified a victory. And Absolutely. kept his place in the division, and he closed extremely. the door on a Stephen Thompson title shot. Yeah, extremely impressive performance by uh, Gilbert. I mean, anybody pulling that off, including Kamaru Usman, uh, for it to be like that clear cut, uh, uh, two rounds to one, that's impressive over Stephen Thompson. Not a lot of people walk away yeah. with that kind of win over him. The fact that he's 38, 39 years old, he's a guy that uh, relies a lot on his reflexes, relies a lot on his footwork, and and um, uh, not only his agility. Again, all of these factors are things that tend to pull back as you get older, right? I think that's a factor. I think if he was the 34-year-old version of Stephen Thompson, maybe 35, uh, fighting this version of Gilbert Burns, I don't think that third round would have gone that way. I, I don't think he would have succumbed to that uh, toward the end of the fight. Uh, and, and so I do think that's a factor, but Gilbert Burns performed admirably. At 38, Stephen Thompson is still easily top three or four in this division scale-wise, so extremely impressive. Yeah, and Burns is no kid. Burns is like 35, but... Oh, you're I don't, right. Listen, I don't, I, don't think Bur- I, I don't think either one of them is, cha- is championship material uh, at this point. Neither one's going to beat point, Usman. Yeah. I don't think yeah. either one could beat Covington. Um, uh, Covington's a different story. Um, uh, I think the fact that Gilbert Burns has the ability to finish him on the ground, we saw Covington finish that way. The ability to finish him on the feet, yeah. we saw Covington finish that. Those are the only two ways. Like, like Gilbert Burns is super dangerous in both those spots. Gilbert Burns is super yeah, fast. Yeah, I mean, that's He's an busy. interesting fight. Yeah. I don't yeah, know, I don't I, know I, that I, we're going to get it, but it's an interesting fight. 
And for the um, record, Kobe got- Covington is the perfect style matchup on paper uh, for Stephen Thompson, especially in a three-round fight where Stephen Thompson's cardio shouldn't become too much of an issue at his age. Uh, a guy that's going to throw nonstop offense at him is going to get caught by him, right? Gilbert Burns, one of, part of the brilliance about his game plan wasn't just the ground game. It was the fact that those first like couple of minutes of that first round, Nick, he did nothing. Because he knows how being aggressive against Stephen Thompson is a huge mistake. Uh, Henry Huff clearly learned that with, with uh, the Vincente Luque matchup. And Vincente was basically dominated against Thompson, right? Gilbert Burns was smart. He wasn't as aggressive as he normally was. That was a major, major element to this win. If he was aggressive from start, from go, and he had a couple of aggressive moments that Thompson didn't take advantage of, but if he was as aggressive as he normally is from go, he would have been in a lot of trouble. So it was a it was a mature game plan, a mature performance. Uh, he was well-conditioned, uh, showed that he was well-rounded, like a really phenomenal performance by Gilbert Burns. And this is his win, in my opinion, this best win at welterweight, uh, bigger than Tyron Woodley, in my opinion, as far as like against a legitimate opponent. It. And and I think this puts him on the map as a legitimate welterweight. I'm a believer now. I wasn't until now, honestly. And then we have Taito Ivasa, Greg Hardy, buddy. Uh, tell me your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I thought that Hardy looked looked physically good and, and seemed cool going in. This was I saw that Bloody Elbow evoked it. It was the other. It was the same thing I thought of. I thought of two things. I thought of Scott uh, Scott Smith, Pete Sell, uh, and I also thought of Czech Congo, Pat Barry. Um, Stipe but, versus Engano you know, Har- too. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. He well, he yes. Although I would say that uh, Ty uh, looked, um, he was more hurt than uh, than in than in was. And Gano just did like a stutter step back. Like he uh, Ty was dancing a little bit. He had the he had the he was doing the funky chicken, and uh, as you know, as he. Uh, as he kind of like stepped back, Hardy char- charges in, and Tayabusa just like steps off just a little bit, oh, lays him Matador style while throwing just a monster <laughs> left hook that exploded his, it just exploded on him, um, and and put him down hard, almost uh, one of the hard one, one of the hardest drops I've seen since Ryan Bader ran into Leota Machida. That's right. Um, it, it was just like a boom, and, and and Pat Barry check Congo is, is another good one. Or early, or, you know, early in the night, <laughs> Duplessis, and uh, you know, and Trevin Giles. But du- Duplessis yeah. different. Duplessis has insane power. He doesn't look. Uh, we, we'll we'll get into him at some point. But he's different, man. He just has like like he touches I, I, you on I the chin. You. You're going to drop. I, I texted you. He's like he's like the Mecha Godzilla version of Luke Rockhold. He's got like the same build. He's, oh, that's who you're referring he, to? I thought you were referring to Taporia, yeah. Nick. I definitely don't see Luke Rockhold with No. Him. Interesting. With, you, don't see, you don't see you don't you don't you don't think Duplessis and Luke Rockhold have similarities? Uh no. In terms uh, of uh, in, ter- in terms okay. of physical appearance or fighting style? Uh a little bit of both. Um the reason I thought it was Taporia is because Luke Rockhold was like pretty dangerous and explosive standing. Um, and he was also like super dangerous from top position on the ground. And he was also like a pretty good wrestler and Taporia is just like phenomenal everywhere. That's who I thought you were oh, referring to when you I, said no, that. No, I was talking about, I was talking about Duplessis. Du- Duplessis is like this herky jerky kickboxer and, and like he looks kind of shitty on the feet until he lands the knockout shot is what I'm seeing. But his takedowns were good in this matchup. His top control was good. Uh, those yeah, were good signs. But I, the guy I don't think it's, I don't think it's, I don't think his up looks shitty, but. Anyway, uh, back to... I, I, um, I, I, I didn't think it looked great. But yeah, uh, Tuivasa, Greg Hardy. Look, Greg Hardy made an amateur mistake. I expected that he had the reach, he had the size, he had the power to hurt Tuivasa, especially if Tuivasa comes in. Yeah, that's I, how I correctly of, picked this one. 
Yeah, you 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 did, and I and, and I and I ended up edging slightly toward Hardy. This is one that that you know I, I thought could easily go the way as we saw with those last few moments. Um, here's the thing, Greg Hardy. It was his lack of maturity, which I could have seen coming, right? Like, yes, he can hurt the guy, but but if he doesn't knock him out clean, will he make a mistake that can get him caught? And that's what he did. He went with this wild left hook to finish Tuivasa after rocking him. Should have been a straight right hand with his guard up, right? And Tuivasa, he just went with a classic left hook, right overhand. The left hook landed clean because what happened was Greg Hardy literally, as he's throwing that wide left hook, he's turning his, his head, his jaw, right into Tuivasa's left hook. And it was just... Both forces beating on Greg Hardy's chin. Greg Hardy also was he was conscious, but he wasn't about to fight through that. He was like, "All right, I'm I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Let's just stop this fight." He, he, it was that kind of cover up. Uh, Tuivasa did really well. I do think maybe there was a reawakening with him going to AKA. It's just tough to tough to be sure about that, considering his, the people he's been beating up. Stefan Struve is Stefan Struve. Greg Hardy's Greg Hardy. Harry Hunsucker didn't look great in that matchup against him, but. He did look pretty fucking phenomenal in his next fight, in his next fight in the UFC. So maybe Tuivasa really is hitting that level. I considered him a prospect early in his UFC career, and I think you got to easily put him back into that category. By the way, is he like in his mid-30s? How old is this prospect? He's 28, Nick. That's a baby for heavyweight. If he can keep that chin intact, I think he's going to do just fine in his UFC career. Um, and then we have Arena yeah, Aldana. I, Yana, uh-huh. Well, hang on. I would, let's, just talk, let's talk matchups for a second. Because the, the guy, I think... I think you got a. He hasn't fought Spivak yet, has he? Uh, he has. He lost his Spivak. That was one of the fights that made me doubt him as a prospect. Oh, you're right. You're right. He did lose his Spivak. He was on a three fight losing um, streak there for a bit. Yeah. In fact, I'm, his, uh, his yeah, only sure. losses in MMA, as a matter of fact. So, not a whole lot, I guess, to be ashamed of. Three fights losing in the UFC to Blogo Ivanov by competitive decision. Junior, Junior Dos Santos, back in 2018, like not the best version, but not the worst version either. And Sergey Spivak, like that one made me really doubt him, uh, especially since Spivak has lost prior to that. But again, let's see him face somebody in the actual top 15 who has some staying yeah, power. Yeah, I mean, I know they like to do match wins and losses. But I, I actually think that Augusto Sakai is the right next fight for him. Very into that, Nick. Love that matchup. I think considering their rankings uh, separation, it makes perfect sense. I'm into it, Nick. Um, and then for Craig Hardy, you know, give him somebody at the bottom of the rung. The UFC is going to want to give him a win because he's one of their guys. Uh, Irina Aldana, Yana Kunitskaya. I, I had, to, I thought that Yana had a pretty good game plan. It looked like for a little bit as Aldana was. She looked phenomenal. Occasionally... She looked phenomenal for the first she ninety did. seconds. She, she looked she really in better did. shape than ever. She looked super yep. strong. I, I thought she looked fantastic, and I thought that I thought she had Aldana off her game. I thought, I thought, you know, she was definitely more aggressive than usual, and she had this. She was kicking more. Um, but geez, she, uh, you know, she walked. She was fighting at uh, some of the best pans at 135 and came down to, it came down to footwork and positioning and she ate a fucking massive. It was a left hook, right? Yeah, uh, from Aldana, it was a left hook. By the way, I'm pretty sure Aldana is known for her right hand. I'm pretty sure she also got a left hook knockout over Caitlin Vera. And yeah. that's like a major addition. That is part of a boxer's development often enough is you usually want to develop that jab first. You want to add that right hand. You want to throw him straight as a piston. You want snap on it. And then if you can follow that up with a left hook, right? The idea is if your jab is sharp enough, it'll make your opponent susceptible to the cross. If your cross is sharp enough, it'll make your opponent susceptible to that left hook. And she's kind of putting that that angle of her boxing game together on top of her defensive uh, work when it comes to the grappling aspect. Like, she's she's a girl to be reckoned with. Um, will she be champion? I think it really depends on, like, who retires in the next couple of years and if she still sticks around. I guess there's a chance because this division is not, like, 
I don't know that it's incredibly strong. It's a, it's a decent division. She has a shot, I guess, at winning the title, striking gold. But I, I think I think she's always can... going to have trouble. There's always going to be some power wrestlers from from and and more and more women from strong wrestling backgrounds. Are, are there are there though, Nick? Like, wh- what do we what do we have it, at 135? Let's look at UFC uh, rankings quickly. But I just had it up. Where did it go? Did I take it down? I don't know. I gotta pull it back up, man. Hang on. <laughs> Um, I'm looking at it right now. There it is. So we have, um, oh, that's pound for pound. Sorry. There's Amanda Nunes. We have, uh, women's bantamweight. We have Hutley home, Jermaine uh, uh, Duran to me, right at the top of that division. And we have Amanda Nunes. All three of these girls could be retired in two years, given their ages, their experiences. Yeah. Entirely possible, right? In that world where you have Aspen Land at number three, Aldana at number four, Kunitskaya, who she just ran through, Juliana Pena, who I think is pretty mediocre, uh, Caitlin Vieira, who she already beat, Sarah McMahon. Yeah, is I, guess Kate, I guess you know you're talking, just talking about Pena and Misha Tate, really. I mean, are we really talking about Misha Tate as far as like a contenders in this division at this point? I think that's crazy talk. Just well, she looks we'll find, we'll find out. We'll fi- yeah. Yeah, but uh, all I'm saying is that uh, these girls are like pretty up there in age, probably not going to stick around too long. And I don't see a whole lot of other girls beating Irina Aldana. I'd be interested very much in that Aspen Lad matchup. I'm not sure if Aspen Lad is currently uh, paired up with someone. Yeah, Aspen Lad's fighting Macy Chazon. Oh, that's interesting. Number three for Macy Chazon. That's quite a fucking a, step uh, up. All right. In a couple in a couple of weeks, that that I'm I'm actually very much looking forward to that. That should be interesting as hell. Uh, so yeah, Arena Aldana man. Once she landed her first clean shot, and I think Kunitskaya's nose broke. I think it was all downhill for Kunitskaya. Uh, Irina Aldana gained confidence from it. Kunitskaya was feeling like shit, understandably, from a broken nose, and. You know, we've seen fighters break eventually over the course of a fight with that for that broken nose. It definitely like it stays on your mind. There's just debilitating pain right here. Uh, it it feels terrible. You can barely breathe, right? Especially with the blood trickling down your mouth. So it fucks with you if you're not experienced in that way, and you don't see a lot of girls having to go through that fight after fight. So Kunitskaya uh, succumbed to it. Arena Aldana knocked her the fuck out. Was it ground and pound, Nick? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ultimately, it was it was ultimately ground and pound. Phenomenal stuff. Uh, and then uh, I guess we t- touched on this a little bit. Sean O'Malley, Chris uh, Mutino. Wait, Look, how Mutino, is Aspen Ladd ranked number three? I, I think she's coming off a pretty good size win, Nick, unless I'm mistaken. Who did she recently I beat? I mean. Also, but again, this shows you how like kind of weak this division is. Um, outside she of. Her, she, their last. Wait a minute. What was her Kunitskaya, last? Kaya, Eubanks, uh, Tony Avenger, Lena Landsberg, uh, Eubanks again. I mean, she has a good resume, but. You're right. It, 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 I think it shows the weaknesses I mean, of this division. Who would you put I over like, her? I like As- Yeah, her last fight was was a year and a half ago against Kuniskaya. Before oh, that, she got knocked out by Jermaine Durandamy in, in 16 seconds. So um, it's got to be just purely the Kuniskaya. I mean, Kuniskaya win. Jermaine Durandamy one was tricky because like, she did get caught, but like I thought that was not a very good stoppage. Like She got hit with a shot, sat on her ass, yeah, referee I- stopped it. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I agree with that. Who, I think I, there's, uh, there's a little bit of question to that, especially since we've seen Jermaine Durand to me, like pressure and takedowns can work on her. And Aspen is the kind of girl, if she gets on top, man, you are in fucking terrible, terrible trouble. She's nasty from up top with her ground and pound. Um, so I, I would pick Aspen Ladd, I think, over Juliana Penny, who's getting the next title shot. I, you know, Holly Holm might have enough craft still. In a five-round fight, Aspen Ladd's pressure might wear on her. Um, Jermaine Durand me, we saw what happened, but that fight could still go either way. Aspen Ladd, she's a prospect, but number three feels weird. Her being over Irina Aldana, especially now with this Yana Kuniskaya win, I disagree with. 
Um, outside of that, like you can't really argue that any of those girls should be ranked above Aspen Ladd if you look at that list, man. So let's get to the next fight. We've got uh, Sean O'Malley, Chris Moutinho. So Moutinho, for a guy who's 2-2 two and two in his last four fights, Nick, knocked out twice in both of those two losses, right? Lost by elbows, 145 round two. Lost by TKO, 402 round four. Tony Gravely. I mean, Tony Gravely's not a whole lot to be ashamed of there. But, but you know, he showed some serious fucking durability. Went out on his feet in this one. Arguable whether the fight could, could have been could have been let go, if only for a few more seconds to see if he can survive the last 30 seconds of the bout. But really good performance by a 125er who I thought looked like a, a mini tiny Sean O'Malley. Really good pressure game. Was relentless, right? No matter how many talks, shots he took, I would have preferred better defense, more head movement. But I do think that O'Malley also had some some moments here in that he showed his conditioning is good. He threw a lot of fucking strikes, and he landed a lot of strikes. Uh, he took a bunch of leg kicks, and he was fairly okay. Also a good sign. Granted, it's a really tiny man that did this to him, but still, it's a great sign. He landed 230 strikes, Nick. Like, that doesn't... Uh, that's not common. That, that's not the norm. He he threw 314 and landed 228 distance strikes. Like, that's that's insane to me. Uh, so, yeah, really, uh, I thought both guys had decent showings, but is Sean O'Malley ready for, for the upper echelon? No. We see a game plan that could work against the guy his size who has the defense to not just get binged repeatedly. Yeah, it was, uh, listen, this, that was a, it was not a good night for UFC PR. O'Malley's their boy. He's their Instagram darling. You know, he's good, and I liked him coming out of the Contender Series, but this new persona, this desire to be famous, all the social media bullshit, just makes me want to see him get his face punched in. Also, his lack his you know, his lack of durability, um, you know, twice, once in a victory, not being able to get up afterwards, and then leaving on a stretcher to Cheeto Vera. Just for the record, Cheeto Vera, he was knocked out cold in that fight. People keep talking about the calf kick like he fell to his back and the referee stopped it. He was knocked out cold with ground and pound with elbows by Cheeto Vera. Yeah, I think I need to I need to re, I need to rewatch that a bunch before I go to bed just to be just to enjoy it. <laughs> I hear that. <laughs> What's hilarious about this fight, and to O'Malley's credit, he was nice to this Chris kid afterwards, but clearly a natural 125er regional fighter looked, you know, looked so small in there. Didn't defend himself, fought with his fought, fought face first for 14 minutes and 30 seconds and just kept coming. Like he would not go away. And it's for a guy that's supposed to be, you know, spitting shit KOs um, and all this stuff. It just, it certainly, it was, it was supposed to be a highlight, a highlight real fight against a last minute tomato can. And all anybody could talk about after the fight wasn't Sean O'Malley. It was the durability of this little Smurf or this troll hair from out of, from out of nowhere. From out of nowhere, like I mean, is is he a UFC level fighter? I don't, I don't know. I'd like to see him at 125, maybe, but he certainly doesn't have any, you know, have any defense. I don't know how hard he hits. Sean O'Malley is way bigger. He's extremely quick. He had a full training camp. I would be curious. I think his attributes. You're right. He's not super fast, and you can't be not super fast at 125. He doesn't have very good defense. He can't have bad defense at 125. So they're not the greatest attributes. But he's not. But he's not big enough for 135 either. Well, listen, he's he's not big enough to fight the very biggest at 135. To be fair, like I don't uh, who gets yeah. bigger than Sean O'Malley at that weight division. He's he's fucking huge. And Corey Sanhagen probably, but um, arguable, pretty close. But anyway, but my yeah yeah, but my my point is that at, it was supposed to be a showcase fight for Sugar 
for Sugar yep. Sean. Which it, it also kind of was. It depends on how you look at it, but you're right. The narrative after the fight is how the narrative after was. the fight was like, holy shit, this the the rookie star couldn't like uh, couldn't couldn't put this tenacious little kid away. Everybody wanted to give you know give Chris and Noogie in a hug after the fight. Nobody was talking about. It. Nobody was like, nice job, Sean, because he was supposed to get a KO in the first round. It was it was not a good it was not a good it's I understand that he broke records, uh, but when you're supposed to be a finisher, when you're you when you're given a last minute guy that nobody knows overtaking a real uh, or you know a ranked opponent, I th- I think you're blaming O'Malley for Chris's chin. Like he just kept taking ridiculous. We know O'Malley has power. There's no question about it, right? Well, I'm, I'm, I, this all comes back to the way the UFC has positioned him. And the things he said about wanting to be famous and the way that he fights. I think it goes back to the fact that you just don't like the guy, honestly. I like to say, yeah, I don't, I don't particularly <laughs> like him, but I'm also talking about Twitter and Reddit after the fight. Nobody, every, the, story, the story was this kid's durability, not Sean O'Malley's precision. Yeah, no, I, I definitely, I, I can definitely get where that's coming from. But dude, Sean O'Malley showed up, and most people, most people taking that many shots, most people would have better defense in the UFC. But most people taking that many shots would have succumbed to him. So it's, it's kind of hard to blame him for, for, for that one. I, I thought, I thought he did his part. No, I don't blame him. I just think it's funny. I think it's funny the yeah. UFC sets yeah, him up enough. for these moments, and they, they can't. Every time they try to make a star out of this kid, it doesn't really work. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, it's working. It's working. Ah, He's popular as I fuck. Mean, t- he he moves the needle. People are interested. You you are very passionate passionate about him, and in the same way that in pro wrestling, people are passionately hating on the heel. Nick, you hate on him. It's effective. He's making a lot more money than anybody with uh, his record in the UFC or, or his number of fights. It's effective. He's doing his motherfucking job. It's the same thing with Jake Paul. I feel like you're quick to hate on those guys that are able to generate a lot of hype. And for a guy, well, hate, by the I way, hate, just real quick, real quick, Nick, you... for a guy with a marketing background, you would think you would appreciate a Conor McGregor, a Sean O'Malley, or a, a Jake Paul. I hate marketing. Paul. I think marketing's fucking disgusting. I hate it. <laughs> fair enough. Fair, I fair enough. <laughs> Um, and, and you um, are, by the way, you are like, you are like an executive in that world, Nikolai, and that's how you feel. And, and that am, is very honest of you to say. Of all the people I, I know in finance, I don't, watch, Nick, I don't, I don't watch, I don't watch, I watch it for, for the sport. I don't care that much about the marketing. I, I know there's, there's marketing on all of it. I just, I just like people who conduct themselves. I, I like to support fighters who conduct themselves a certain way and have certain kinds of stories. And I find the way that Sean O'Malley behaves embarrassing and reprehensible. But you like hating on heels, Nick. You're a pro wrestling fan. That's exactly what's happening here. Kobe Covington, you just can't help but react to him. They bring the passion out of you, and that is their entire goal. But I want them to go away. I don't want to watch. I just, I just want them to not be there. Oh, I, I hear that, but you do want to watch him because you like this is a fight that didn't matter. This Chris, whatever, who gives a shit? You could have easily walked away. You could have been doing something else. You want to watch him, Nick. There are fights that you would want to watch less than Sean O'Malley. Come on, Nick. You want to see Sean O'Malley get killed. That is part of what works. That's why Muhammad Ali was major. That's why Conor McGregor is huge for certain people. Certain people love him, right? That's why Floyd Mayweather was a major star for that reason. It's because they make you want to hate them. Jake Paul is is a star for many people in that in that way. People want to hate him. Uh, half the people hate him. Half the people love him. There's almost nobody that doesn't give a shit. And that's the point. It's effective, Nick. You are doing exactly what he wants you to do, and and that's fine. Like there's nothing wrong with that. All I'm saying is that you care. It's not that you don't give a shit. You do want to see the guy fight. You want to see him lose. Am I wrong? Um, you wanted Delvashvili to take that fight so badly, Nick. 
I did want Davashvili to take up. Because yeah. you wanted Davashvili to whoop that ass. Come on. Yeah, I like I I, I like uh you know, I'm a I'm a big fan I'm a big fan of the East of the Eastern Bloc uh fighter mindset. Is is bullshit guy. Don't 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 talk. Don't uh, talk. Nick, just... just real real quick, uh, Michelle Pereira, Nico Price, uh, Pereira twenty nine twenty eight. I think makes perfect sense. Uh, I, I don't know about you. Uh, I thought Nico yeah. Price clearly took the third. Although even there, Pereira was landing some bombs. It's just when Pereira looks tired, he looks like he's losing a fight, and he might still be winning a fight. In fact, I actually thought that Tristan Connolly, his only other legitimate UFC loss, and when I say legitimate, I mean in that. Because of Diego yeah. Sanchez, right? Right, 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 exactly. Um, I thought he won that fight, too. He did more damage even when he was exhausted, even with Connolly laying on top of him for a minute or so at a time here and there. I thought he did more damage. So his damage has got to He's be He's an athletic he... specimen. The fucking back, the backflip in the mountains. I mean, I, I guess it's cool. It's just stupid strategy. You, you know what happened there? The reason he was able to get mount is because he did the backflip, hit Nico Price with the shin. Nico Price reacted to the referee like, you're going to stop this, right? Like, like obviously this was a foul and of course that allowed Michelle Pereira to get the mount so you know it's that classic like uh, Aljamain Sterling thing you got to react to the illegal strike like you have to or the referee won't do anything about it uh Nico oh, where, did the shin, where did this shin hit him the shin hit him in the head yeah, yeah it was either the foot or the oh. shin hit him in the head I, I made sure to replay it and uh as I was watching it on on a bit of a delay but yeah the, the shin definitely hit him in the head and maybe that maybe it might have possibly dazed him a bit I don't know but I thought he was uh, reacting for the referees to notice what happened, and then Michelle Pereira was able to get mount. Uh, Nick, we have to talk about Ilya Taporia. This is one that you and I disagreed on. I saved you from making that Ryan Hall pick. Ilya, motherfucking Taporia, Nick, is the truth. I said it on our podcast after his UFC debut. Yeah, I've always liked him too. I just saw. I I believed in the. I believed in the, the, value. In the Ryan Hall heel hook. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Ilya Taporia, dude. Like when I say that he is just about elite everywhere. Like, just maybe short of elite everywhere. There's a jack-of-all-trades, which is probably six levels down from him in every regard, right? He is almost, like, almost Anderson Like, I shouldn't say Anderson Silva. That, that's a weird example. He he is just a level below, like, a Israel Adesanya-level striker. Just a level below a, like, Henry Cejudo-level wrestler. Maybe two levels below that. Just a level below a Ryan Hall kind of grappler. Partly because of his athleticism and his mindset. Like, it is tough to deal with a guy who has those natural abilities, that mindset of I'm going to fucking get you and I will destroy you. And if I think I hurt you, I will fucking do everything possible to do as much damage uh, from that moment on until the referee steps in. Ilya Taporia is something truly special. I'm extremely excited about this guy. I have been since his UFC debut. Um, I think he's going to be champion unless we suddenly, like his chin gets ruined by a head kick or or something along those lines, uh, or, or he gets thrown into the fire. I think he's going to be he's gonna be a top, top level. Level. So so Matt, so Matt, let's match him up then. There's only one. There's only one man there. We got to do it. We got to do. A what are we talking about here? Two men enter, one man leave. Somebody's O has got to go. Most sorry, I've lost. Yep. Oh, I, that's the I fight am, to I'm make. Intrigued. I, I would not want either of these prospects to get a loss on their record, though. To be honest, I see no reason for that. Have these guys fight for the number one contendership a year or so down the line? Then who do they fight? You've got... you got Jika Jigadze, Bryce Mitchell, uh, Edson Barboza. I know some of these guys are matched up. I realize that, but he just fought. Yeah, they're matched up. It, it's okay if somebody fights a month from now and then turns around and fights him, you know, a few months down the line, right? Like, that's that's the timeline we're looking at. Josh Emmett, Arnold Allen, Calvin Cater, any of these guys. I guess you could do Iga, Iga coming off a loss against Tapuria. 
area. Yeah, that makes sense given their disparity in rankings. I think that makes a lot of sense. And Ige is like a stern test for him too, especially in a five rounder. I don't know that they they would put those guys in a five rounder, but I would love to see that because Ige is the kind of guy that I think like if you can get past Ige, you are entrenched in the top ten. If you like, if you can't, then he's kept his gate, and maybe you're not quite ready for that top ten range. Yeah, the other fight to do then the Evloev fight. I would I would actually match up Evloev with a returning Calvin Cater. Yeah, I, I don't mind that. It's a big step up for Evloev from the competition he's been fighting, and I I would like to see the UFC kind of uh, Mali these kind of prospects. Maybe not as slowly. They don't need to be uh, brought in as slowly to that top five. I mean, there's not a lot of there. There's not a lot of people between Evloev and Qatar. You got Iga, you got Barbosa, you got Arnold Allen. You know what? You're right, Nick. It's it's like a bunch of prospects. If you look at the bottom half of that top ten specifically, right? It, heck, even including the top ten. Uh, I don't know if you can count Rodriguez as a prospect with his weird like not wanting to take certain fights and pulling out no matter what if he doesn't think it's a good matchup. But we got Yair Rodriguez, arguably a prospect. Calvin Cater, I don't know if he can still be considered that. Oh, yeah. Fuck, fuck yeah, Rodriguez. He's like fought like twice in the last five years. Yeah, uh, we got Arnold Allen. We got uh, Giga Jagadze, Sodik Yusuf, Bryce Mitchell, Mofsar Evlov, Shane Burgos, who is, you know, never going to be top 10 material, but that's okay. But like there's a good, uh, good number of guys there that like are going to inch their way up into that top 10. And and I wish that this kind of thing would happen more at 155, where guys like Poirier are not really fighting these up-and-comers. They're fighting the Conor McGregor's for the big fights, and, and it just became a, a division of big fights. But I'm excited about 145. I think it's catching up to 135, and 135 might be my favorite division in the UFC at the moment. You know, what's also really interesting is you've got two real players in that division who've, who've been like on the uh on the bench in Josh Emmett and Zabit Nurmagomedov. I mean Zabit uh I think I think at this point like I am writing off Zabit as as a real like championship level prospect. He's never showed a gas tank for more than two rounds. His own management says that like I don't know if he can fight anymore. He is you know, he can't stay healthy enough to, to train. Like, I, I don't know if he has a weak immune system or what. I'm not sure what it is. But I think Zabit we can kind of write off, uh, given what his manager recently said. But the the other guy you mentioned, Josh Emmett's like 37 at this point. Like, every bit of time he loses to injury or whatever, whatever it is, concussive syndromes, whatever it was, um, like, he's getting closer to that 40-year range. And granted, his power is not going to go. His speed is going to go. His reflexes are going to start to go. Um, his timing is going to start to go. So Josh Emmett's losing losing time quick. I just hate to see guys fall off for long periods of time, you know, when they're when they're just surging. Uh, Nick, just real quick, uh, something I just realized. Taporia, every one of his opponents were undefeated in the UFC when he fought them. That's fucking incredible. Oh, you know what? I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I, I, I Damon Jackson had an earlier stint oh, yeah. in the UFC. And, yeah, and that's kind Damon of a weird Jack- situation. Yeah. Yeah, he was a lead replacement, wasn't he? Uh, I th- uh, Damon Jackson was. No, no, no. He I actually made his so. UFC debut and got a win over Mursad Bektik. Uh, I, I shouldn't say debut. Uh, he returned to the UFC, but he fought in the UFC back in 2016 and 15 and uh, lost a couple of fights then to Yancey Medeiros. Uh, and then actually it seems like he got a no contest and a draw. So it's not even like he like looked terrible in the UFC. He just lost to Medeiros and then and then went to uh, to uh, basically no contest after that. Uh, in any case, Teporia, the real motherfucking deal, Nick. When you see Teporia at like, I don't know, just a little over minus 200 over most people, you go for that shit, Nick. That kid's no, 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 no joke, Nick. The, the conditioning looks incredible. Like I said, wrestling, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, grappling, ground and pound, uh, striking, 
power is there. The chin is there. Yeah, you got something in your teeth. It might be a Taporia pube. Uh, Nick, uh, I don't know. Considering the way that you do, you lick the assholes of guys like Dustin Poirier and Khabib, I, I wouldn't go there. What do you mean? Li- I don't lick. I, I'm not. A, I'm like not a Dustin chance, Mark. I like every every chance you get, Nick. Every chance you get. You like Dustin, you know it. Maybe not as much as the other guy I mentioned, but you like Dustin. In any case, Nick, good fucking UFC. Uh, we're going to, I think, end it about here, right? Should we quickly go yeah. over the uh, what's coming up uh, uh, next week on the UFC schedule next Saturday? We have UFC Fight Night, Mahachev versus Moises. I think that's an interesting matchup given Moises' recent kind of uh, rise up the rankings. Mahachev, you know, his team says that he's absolutely elite. He hasn't really had the opportunity to truly prove that he's that on that level because he hasn't fought anybody on that level. But uh, I'm I'm looking forward to this matchup. I think I've underestimated Tiago Moises long enough, but this is a rough matchup for anyone. Yeah, I'm excited for it. I mean, hell, you know, hell of a fighter. Um, yeah, I think it's I think it's an exciting fight. I, I mean, Makachev is rightfully the favorite, but it's going to be interesting. Yeah. We got me. We got Misha Tate coming back against Marion Renault, who I think is fifty-seven at this point. Did it, it's funny that Misha Tate is a younger woman going into this matchup. Amanda Lemos is on this card. Is she somebody I have a crush on? I can't remember. I don't know. Do you think she listens to the podcast? No, I'm just looking at to figure out which. which there's so many Brazilian fighters I have crushes on. Mateus Gambro uh, is actually that guy who was undefeated until his UFC debut. Who was eighteen and zero. He's fighting Jeremy Stevens. I'm intrigued by that. It's quite a big step up, by the way, considering he was winless in the UFC. Billy Quarantillo, uh, Gabriel Benitez. That's guaranteed fireworks. Uh, uh, yeah, that'll be fun. Yeah, that'll that'll be a lot of fun. I don't know who pr- I don't know who Preston Daniel Rodriguez is. is fighting. Me neither. I don't know who this Preston guy is, but Daniel Rodriguez, uh, I like that guy a lot. Amanda Lemos is a is is a beast, and the girl she's fighting is also a beast. That is fucking fascinating. These two like hulkingly strong women facing off. Uh, I, I'm I'm very intrigued by that. Uh, Kali Taha is exciting uh, for, for fighting a Russian man named Sergey Morozov, who looks like he might be from. Uzbekistan or something along those lines, which is where I was born. We have Kazakhstan. Uh, Kazakhstan. Oh, there you go. Your, I guessed it, Nick. Your, I just fucking get, threw it out your, there. Get your goddamn flag straight. You don't know shit about where you're Wait, I'm not looking at flags. Um, I'm looking at names of people. Name myself. Fuck <laughs> down, brother. It is way up the front. Uh, Anderson goes there. My old Miles Johnson. Entry. Straight, 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 straight,